This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. We are joined by Derek Scissors. He is a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, where he is an Asia economist and trade expert. Derek, thank you very much for calling. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I know you've got a piece here on the Trans-Pacific Partnership at AEI.org, grading the Trans-Pacific Partnership on trade. TPP is something that a lot of folks talk about, and Trump yesterday had the largely symbolic gesture of withdrawing the U.S. from it, even though it wasn't right, wasn't going to go through the Congress. You say TPP is not so great. Can you walk us through just if somebody has just heard this talked about but doesn't know anything about it, what do they need to know about TPP? What should the average American just know about this if we're out and voting and talking about it? Okay, well, let, let me just clarify my position. I originally said TPP was not so great when the treaty text first came out in November 2015. So this isn't about Trump or the election or anything else. It was just me reading the agreement. And my view of the agreement is, look, all these people saying it'll promote closer relations between the U.S. and Japan, they're our ally. That's true. There are a lot of diplomatic stories you could tell. The U.S. should have presence in Asia. Also true. I grant them all. But if you want a trade agreement to bring economic benefits to the United States, which is what I want, it doesn't do it. It doesn't hurt the United States. I disagree with President Trump when he says, oh, this is the worst thing in the world. It's going to be terrible. And as you said, it's not going to go into effect. What I didn't like in the agreement was I want to see in this agreement where we're going to get clear economic benefits, not diplomatic benefits, economic benefits. I didn't see it. What what would it have done? What are the main areas it touches on? What Because now I think it's become an article of faith, especially for a lot of Trump supporters. And I see your analysis here. This is from December of 2015. You just, when I, grading the Trans-Pacific Partnership on trade is you just saying, this is what I think of the deal, regardless of a Trump presidency or not. But what was this going to do? The Obama administration was pushing for it. Hillary was, I think, for it and then against it. Uh, what was this supposed to, what areas rather was this hitting on? Well, it was mostly about setting rules for other countries. We weren't going to change that much. I and mean, one of the things that, that is a key factor in, in debates over trade is the U.S. is already open. Most of our trade agreements don't change our rules. They change other people's rules. So if you're talking about impact on ordinary Americans' lives, I would, I would basically say nothing. No one would have noticed, which would have been a, you know, a big anticlimax if it ever went into effect. The idea was to get other countries to open more to trade, including trade from American companies and workers. The problem was there were so many exceptions that I didn't think that they opened. But if you talked about how the TPP would have affected normal people, it really wouldn't have affected normal people at all. So what was the Obama administration doing pushing for this thing? What was what was their what's their side of it? What do they think this would accomplish? Well, they're going to partly disagree with me, but if you had, without listening to me, criticize them, if you had an Obama administration official, former official, show up, they would not start with economics. They would not start with trade benefits for ordinary Americans. They would start with, this is part of our pivot to Asia. 
you know, we don't want to be obsessed with the Middle East. We want to focus on Asia. Asia has the majority of the world's people. It's got a lot of fast-growing economies. It's part of our pivot to Asia. We, you know, and they would tell you a lot of things that are true. They're not about economics. Then they would say there are 18,000 tariff cuts uh, in the uh, in the TPP, and a tariff is just a tax. So they're telling you, look, basically we're cutting your taxes. And again, that's true, but U.S. tariffs are really low. So they're talking about cutting the tariff from two percent to one percent. And you're just, and you know, that's not going to show up at the final value. Only part of that's going to show up in the final value of whatever you're buying. So again, you're not going to notice. They would talk about this at the Obama administration. We're talking about it. They talk about it as a very important diplomatic agreement, and I don't disagree with that. I just want our trade agreements to have economic benefits. And it's not just me. Six months later, the International Trade Commission, which is a, an independent body in the federal government, evaluated the Trans-Pacific Partnership and said, I, you know, we don't really see anything here. Is a lot of the opposition to TPP then, is it fair to say that it's really just tied in with the uh, surging uh, nationalism around the world and, and it's a, a rejection of internationalism and globalism more than, I'm not saying your criticisms of it, I'm saying the general uh, opinion against it seems to be motivated to me more by the sense that we shouldn't be in these massive globalist alliances or globalist entanglements rather than any specific economic issues or, or are there specific economic issues that the opposition especially this the the trump supporter opposition points to in this well I, you know, I followed what the president said when he was on the campaign trail about TPP a lot. It was very general. Um, so my answer to your question is, even though I said I don't like the agreement, I don't see what it does for us, I don't see any disaster coming from the agreement. I think the answer to your question is it's really about past deals. And really the number one deal we're talking about here is letting China into the WTO. Because if you look at when China gets into the WTO, that coincides with very sharp drops in American manufacturing employment. Now, it's not all due to China, I don't want to exaggerate, but people are going to remember that time. China gets on the W2 2001. They're going to remember that time, and, and they're going to trace that back in part, and they'll be right to trade, that we let China in the WTO under what turned out to be bad terms. It hurt a lot of manufacturing uh, workers and their families, and now we have somebody telling us this agreement is much better than that, and they're just, they don't trust that. The last really big agreement we had didn't work out well at all for a lot of Americans. And so when someone comes along and says, here's another agreement, and you say, well, what are the concrete economic benefits? And they start talking about diplomacy. There's a lack of trust there. And I think that's what President Trump tapped into when he was running for office. Are you, are you referring to NAFTA? I mean, NAFTA is a question I wanted to ask you about anyway. No, I'm, I'm referring to China entering the World Trade Organization, which happened at the end of 2001. And I'll contrast it with NAFTA. Um, First of all, China is much bigger than Mexico. Uh, it's much bigger in population, much bigger in number of workers, it's much bigger in economic size. It's much bigger. It's also better organized than Mexico, which increases its weight. NAFTA goes into the effect beginning of 1994. Manufacturing employment actually rises in 94, 95, 96, 97, and 98. Manufacturing wages rise all those years. Labor force participation rises all those years. I think a lot of people who are angry at NAFTA are actually angry at China, and they, they, they're getting confused about – I don't mean people who are directly affected. They know when they were affected. But they're getting confused about when the, the economy seemed to turn against manufacturing and turn against blue-collar workers and turn against manufacturing states. Because you look at the 90s, the 90s were, were good. That's, Bill Clinton wasn't popular as president because he was a good guy. If I may say so, he was popular as president because we had a strong economy. The economy gets much 
has much more on the way of trouble when China enters in the WTO, which is about six years after NAFTA. So, uh, the idea of this trade is fascinating. I, I think you're totally right. By the way, people do conflate these things. Most mm-hmm. folks don't have the time to read in depth into right. the agreements and look at the charts. And that's I know that that is what you're doing. What is the the pro? What is right now? What is the pro NAFTA case? What is the con? Uh, how, how does this really line up now that we've had this agreement in effect for for years? Well, I mean, Mexico's not big enough to change what goes on here for very long. So the pro-NAFTA case is you don't have any evidence that jobs were lost nationally, even in manufacturing. Forget other jobs, because manufacturing wages and employment both went up after NAFTA for five years. Now, after that, China comes into play, and you can't tell what's going on with NAFTA anymore, because China is so much bigger that it wipes out all the NAFTA effects. The, the, I think the case where people want to be critical of NAFTA, and, and it can be productive, is to say, look... It's 20 years out of date. You know, we made that agreement 22 years ago. We didn't even have e-commerce back then. Now we do, and America's really good at it. Let's upgrade the agreement. Let's make it a better agreement, and let's negotiate for, for things that are going to help uh, Americans. So there's nothing wrong with saying, I want to renegotiate NAFTA. I'm, I'm, I would like to renegotiate NAFTA, too. We can mess it up, but, but I think it's a good idea to renegotiate it. What's wrong is thinking back to the 90s and thinking that American manufacturing was, was hurting that. It wasn't. That was a good time for American manufacturing. It got much worse after that. What is true and what is not when Trump starts talking about getting uh, or negotiating better deals with China because, you know, he says their leaders are smarter than us and they're they're doing all this stuff that that hurts us. You know, if, if you were playing the role of uh, of of Trump economic translator, what is he saying that resonates and what is kind of just uh, hogwash to get people riled up when it comes to U.S. trade with China? Well, what resonates is we do have leverage. That's the thing he started saying early on where no one was paying that much attention to him. And I said, well, he's right about that. Um, The main way we have leverage is China makes a lot of money off the United States. It doesn't as the president says, we gave them the money. We don't give them the money. We give them the money. We get something in return. We buy goods made in China. They get the money. They need that money. Um, a lot of money is leaving China because people don't want to do business there anymore. It's something that most Americans don't know. Um, so money is leaving China, and without the money they get from the U.S. Uh, in terms of trade, they'd have a serious financial problem. So we do have leverage. The president is right about that. Where he's wrong is that it seems like sometimes he's living in the past. You know, most people think that China was manipulating its currency 10 years ago much more than they are now. In other words, that's, that's a kind of an old issue. China, even China joining the WTO, I said it was very important back then, but you can't turn back the hands of time. You got to deal with what's going on now. So we do have leverage. We got to focus on what matters now. And I think the president is right about the leverage and not as right about what the main issues are. What are the main issues? Well, for me, there are two issues, which, which have been mentioned by the Trump campaign. They're just not emphasized as much as some other things. Um, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm talking about tech companies. I'm not. China steals American intellectual property on a, on a massive basis. And when you do an estimate of how many Americans have jobs that are supported by innovation, it's like 35 million. It's an enormous figure. So we're not talking about just advanced technology. We're talking about any innovation you have to make your company work better. It could be something somebody came up with there in garage. If it's valuable, the Chinese will try to steal it. 
Um, and so I think that's something where we can retaliate against China's intellectual property theft and say, if you're if you're good on this issue, we'll trade with you, we'll invest with you. If you're not, you can't do business here. We should have done this years ago. We haven't. And I'm hoping that a Trump administration will do that. The other issue is harder. We like to have an open economy here. We like to have competition. At least we have um, since World War II. Um, because we think competition is good for consumers and is good for the country. China doesn't like that. So we're, we're automatically playing in di- different games. They want to come here and compete freely with our firms. They don't want us to go there and compete freely with theirs. And that's really a tough one to deal with because I don't want to become like China in order to punish China. But it's hard to know how to punish them because they're, they are being unfair without becoming like them. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800 600 1645. That's 800 600 1645. 800 600 1645.